and our Redeemer. Pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to start this morning with, uh, with a remarkable quote uh, and for some context. It's the, uh, it's the middle of the 20th century, and Europe was reeling after the deaths of tens of millions of people in the First World War. One third of the planet was infected with the Spanish influenza, and there was a Great Depression. The economy had fallen apart, and the world was preparing for another war. And there was a, a British diplomat and statesman named Sir Austin Chamberlain. And as he surveyed the chaos that the entire world was reeling in, uh, it reminded him, quote, of, of a curse which took the form of a saying, may you live in interesting times. There is no doubt, Chamberlain said, that the curse has fallen on us. Now, I think the language of curse is, is pretty strong, but we are living in, in truly interesting times. This is uh, certainly the greatest national crisis in my lifetime, perhaps since the, the Vietnam War. We're on the verge of a, of a global economic downturn. I think half of the peoples of the earth are in some form of lockdown. These are certainly interesting times. What would God say to us now? How would God speak to us in a way that's consoling and, and stabilizing? How would God brace us in this moment? I think God would have us look at Jesus. Part of what it means to be a Christian is to say that Jesus' way is the way of being an integrated and whole and fully realized human being. God doesn't ask us to, to shed our unique stories and shapes and colors, but God does point us all in, this, in, a, in one direction, the singular direction that Jesus invites us toward. So what I want to do today in, in the hopes of being brief, and the hopes of being easy to follow, is reflect on the gospel lesson in the Liturgy of the Palms, or the reading for Palm Sunday. And to think about it in terms of how might it shape our vision for following Jesus, walking behind him. And I want to reflect on two elements of the story, very simply, uh, the direction and the destination what the path looks like, and where it's headed. What questions does the like, outer elements of his journey raise to the inner story, the inner, our inner lives, and our inner journey this Holy Week? So first, direction. What does the path look like? Well, in a word, we are going up. Holy Week is a kind of ascent. And in the case of Jesus and his disciples, this climb was quite literal. Holy Week starts in the city of Jericho, which is about 600 feet below sea level. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus and his friends came to Jerusalem, which is 2,500 feet above sea level. I did some quick math and a Google search, 
and I discovered that you'd have to climb Enchanted Rock six times to match the elevation gain experienced by Jesus and his friends. They went up. And what I want to say is that the direction taken on the first Palm Sunday is an image of the internal movement that takes place in everyone who walks with Jesus. Living in the wake of his death and resurrection is a kind of ascent. We reach the heights. We reach the heights because God will not rest, Paul says, until we are conformed into the image of his Son. God will not rest until we reach the heights of our human potential. To be a, a human being is to be capable of great dignity and profound depravity. There are heights and depths. The crisis that we are in has amplified our potential for both, has it not? First, the depths. I um, learned this week, and there's actually some friends from Church of the Cross involved in launching the Asian American Christian Collaborative. And you can Google it. It's, it's worth checking out. And the group was inspired in part by the rise of acts of racism directed against the Asian American community in the last couple weeks. Uh, I think there has been over a thousand documented acts of verbal abuse and physical abuse. Our nation has a, a tragic history of racializing these types of pandemics. They expose the depths of the human heart. The time of the virus is a time of fear and self-interest, hatred, racism, depravity, depths. But it's also a time of heights, of dignity. On the New York Times homepage, I read this week about Father Jorge Ortiz Gray and his tireless service to the Mexican community in Brooklyn, in New York City. Father Jorge is the first U.S. Catholic priest to die of COVID-19. And during his final mass, live-streamed on March 19th, he said this, There is no better time than this time of trial, this time of challenges, to fulfill our call to holiness. At these moments of trial and crisis, at these times when maybe we are asking what will happen to us, trust in the Father. Father Jorge allowed Jesus to take him to the heights, to show courage and composure and poise and compassion in this time of testing, and Jesus will lead you there too. The promise of Palm Sunday, the promise of ascending with Jesus, is a promise, one author writes, of life according to truth, of courage that will not be intimidated by the gossip of dominant opinions, of availability to those who are suffering, and of a goodness that will not be disarmed by gratitude, ingratitude. Jesus 
brings us to the heights of our humanity. Jesus brings to us all of these wonderful virtues because Jesus leads us to the source of love that binds them all together. What direction are we going? What does our path look like following behind Christ? Well, for one thing, it's going up. It's an ascent, and that is a promise of the gospel. What's the destination? Well, the goal of the Palm Sunday pilgrimage is Jerusalem. It's a city beautiful in its loftiness, Psalm 48 says. And Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem in large part because the temple was there. And that fact will become very important on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. But Jerusalem is also, uh, was also the seat of power. It was the city of the great king. It was the place where the Messiah, or the anointed one, the great ruler and leader of Israel, would reign. And we're told that when Jesus first approached the city, he sent two disciples ahead of him at first, and predicting that they would find a cult upon which no one had ever ridden before. And if anyone says anything, Jesus said, tell them that the Lord has need of it. So Jesus rides into the city on a borrowed donkey. Why all these weird details? Well, for Matthew's first readers and for Jesus' Jewish contemporaries, these are magnificent allusions. Requisitioning animals was the right of kings. And sitting upon a horse that no one had ever sat upon was another suggestion that this man entering this city was of royal blood. Actually, it's funny. In Luke's gospel, there's this very weird detail where it says the disciples placed Jesus on the donkey. He didn't sit on it. He was placed upon it. That is is a strange image. What's going on there? Well, uh, some commentators point out that there is this uh, parallel between what happens on Palm Sunday and a very random incident occurred that occurs in 1 Kings chapter 1 where King David transfers power to his son Solomon. And in 1 Kings 1, what you read is uh, David calling Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, and he asks them to place Solomon upon his mule so that he would be anointed with oil and be called king. That Jesus' disciples do the same here is like a bright red neon sign saying the king has returned. The moment that Jesus is placed upon the donkey is the moment he becomes what he was born to be, the Christ, the anointed one, the king. The most significant detail of all, of course, is the actual mode of transport, the donkey. You all knew this was coming. Jesus is riding on a donkey. It's the promise of Zechariah something or other, and it underscores his gentleness. And on the one hand, what Jesus is doing here is fairly conventional. I think it was a couple hundred years before this Palm Sunday, a a Jewish deliverer named Judas Maccabeus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with the same types of cries. So this was fairly conventional on the one hand, but on the other hand, it was very, very subversive. I think it was Stanley Harawas who calls this event a satire of how kings, conquering kings, typically enter cities. Why is that? Well, because most of the time, kings come into cities with war horses and chariots. 
and Jesus is riding upon a baby donkey. Why? Well, this tells us something very important about Jesus and something very important about ourselves. And you probably know what it tells us about Jesus. It uh, tells us something about his kindness, his gentleness, his character. That Jesus rides in on a donkey suggests that Jesus is a king who does not save in a conventional way. The heartbeat of Palm Sunday is this cry, Hosanna. And growing up, I thought that meant hooray. But it does not mean hooray. It's a plea, save us, Lord. And Jesus does save us, but gently. Not by, uh, excuse me, taking power and wreaking havoc. Jesus saves by, by losing power and absorbing Havoc. He doesn't yield the, the weapons of war. Jesus is destroyed by them. He triumphs. He, he saves, we might say, in weakness and in humiliation. And those of us who follow him triumph, we might say, are saved in a similar way. Not by taking control but by admitting our weaknesses, repenting of our sins, acknowledging our faults. This is, this is so important. God does not save us by being strong in the way gods, our, our gurus, are supposed to be strong. Jesus does not come into Jerusalem and say, look at my power, look at my intelligence, look at my wisdom. Follow me, become like me, and, and be saved. I think there are people who, who understand Christianity exactly like that, but there's a, there's a real problem there. Because if salvation is by our, our, if deliverance is the fruit of strength, our intelligence, our goodness, then that means salvation is only for the strong, or the intelligent, or the good. And that leaves a lot of people people like me, and maybe people like you, out of the picture. No. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, it says, the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Jesus is a king who saves us in weakness by giving up his spirit and dying. And this is good news because it means that anyone and everyone can be saved. All you have to do is give up and admit your weakness and receive his love. Jesus comes into Jerusalem because he's a king, and he's a king who saves us in surprising ways. Now, again, you've probably heard something like that before. What I, what I do think is more interesting is what Jesus, riding on a donkey, says about us. It teaches us something about ourselves and the way God works in our lives. And just to, to, to not bury the lead, what it teaches us is that God confounds and exceeds our expectations. What do I mean by that? Well, think about the times in your life. I'm assuming most of you who are watching this have prayed before. Maybe you have a history of praying. Think about the times in your life when you were the most earnest, the most regular, the most devout and sincere in bringing your needs before God. My guess is that those were times of your life characterized by great need, when you really wanted something from God. 
and maybe wanted a really good thing from God. Maybe a lot of us are praying much more regularly and much more frequently now because we're isolated and alone and scared and afraid. And of course, that is a, that is a wonderful thing. But think about what's going on in the heads of the pilgrims who are following Jesus into Jerusalem and the pilgrims who are leaving Jerusalem to come to meet Jesus as he enters the city. Why were they so excited? What were the shouts of Hosanna for? Well, they were thrilled because they thought they knew exactly how God was going to answer that prayer. Save us, Lord. Save us from who? Well, these were not people of, of privilege. These were people who were oppressed. They had people ruling over them, desecrating their culture, and ruining their world. Hosanna, Lord, save us from them. Save us from this, this awful empire that's reigning over us. And what Jesus says, in effect, is, look, not so fast. What you need is not for God to judge them, but for God to bear God's own judgment against you on your behalf. What you need is pardon and reconciliation with God so that one day God can return and put the world to rights and not have you be negatively implicated in the process. Do you see, you know, Palm Sunday was celebratory because people were convinced that Jesus was about to give to them what they wanted. And Jesus was not doing that at all. And so their ecstatic cheers, Hosanna, became enraged cries, crucify him. This is an incredible parable about the mismatch that can occur between what we want from God and what God actually provides. And what I want to say is that God did not fail them. God did not disappoint them. And God does not fail us. God does not disappoint us. What Palm Sunday teaches us is that God provides for us in ways that are far deeper and far more comprehensive than we could ever imagine. Now, if you're anything like me, you're used to Holy Weeks where the drama and the fear and the uncertainty that surrounded the first Holy Week has to be imagined. Not this year. There's nothing serene about it. The fear and uncertainty and then drama is staring us right in the face. My prayer is that God would enable us to ascend boldly with Jesus to the heights of celebration. And that God would be present in our lives in such a way that we would have faith to believe that even in these interesting times, even amidst the uncertainty and, and fear and strangeness of these days, that God is at work and that God intends to crown us with new life. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we, we thank you for the opportunity to be together. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us about your provision and your desire to save us from what truly afflicts us. 
I pray too, Lord, that you will be present in our lives in such a way that we would be available to the suffering of others and cognizant of the way different people are experiencing this, this unique season. More than anything else, Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts together and to you as we celebrate these wonderful acts by which you reconciled us to yourself and are putting the world to right. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.